Hi, everybody. It's the other Mike Goodman, and this is Legends of Tabletop. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. It's episode 130 as we continue to just crank through these episodes. Uh, we've got Mike Goodman or the other Mike Goodman or the real Mike Goodman. You decide. I don't know. <laughs> and that disembodied head is my itinerant co-host and hetero life mate, Vince. What's going on, buddy? That's right. How are you, sir? Good, good. I to talked to you in a little bit. It has been a while. I blame you. Yeah, well, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, it's it's probably my fault. Cool. So, uh, so welcome to the show, Mike. Uh, first time having you on. It's a uh, glad you could uh, could take some time out to hang out with us. Thanks very much. I'm I'm glad to be here. Cool, cool, cool. Glad to have you. So you've you've been involved in the SCA for like 25 plus years now. How did how did you initially get involved in that? That's it's about right. I think it's uh, uh, let me see. This is 2017, so a little over. 25 to 27 years. Wow. Um, I, I got involved with it um, years, years, obviously, over 27 years ago. Um, <laughs> I heard about it through Dragon Magazine. Uh, somebody had, a, there was this, uh, somebody had written a uh, either a letter or it was a, a description of a, of a cover painting. That, I think that's what it was, a description of a cover painting, where somebody was talking about how they... Uh, their SCA friends would go wandering around in the woods um, in in their full clothes and their full garb, um, singing uh, some of the songs from the old Lord of the Rings cartoon film. And at, at that adolescent age, for some reason, it popped in my head, this is the coolest thing ever. Now, I have no idea why I thought that was the coolest thing ever at the time. <laughs> but uh, it was it just seemed like such a neat communal kind of thing to do and and uh the sca ended up on a couple of documentaries if i remember right um and then i started uh getting involved with it actually in person uh when i started in college i was more interested in uh in um dance uh, and telling stories and singing and the whole atmosphere the whole medieval atmosphere that you could create um and then eventually as years went on drifted into uh, uh, an interest in medieval sword fighting, renaissance sword fighting, renaissance sword fighting culture, and all those kinds of things, which has been my study now for uh, 15, 17 years, something like that. Cool. And I, and I guess maybe we should take a step back real quick in case people right. don't know. The SCA is the Society for Creative Anachronism. Uh, they're international. Uh, they've got... Uh, 20 kingdoms, 30,000 members. It, it's like a worldwide thing. 21, okay. Nice. 20, yeah. um, um, and were, so were you a gamer at the time? Like, was it obviously you're reading Dragon Magazine? So you were, oh my, yes. you were already predisposed to, you know, that sort of, uh, uh, you know, sort of background kind of stuff? Yeah. And, and uh, what's really, uh, one of the really neat things, uh, as a side note, and I've got to go through my, my, 
Dragon Magazine CDs, there's an article in there about the SCA in one of them, which also references, um, I want to say it was Hank Reinhardt or one of the other big Western swordsmanship guys, um, and a few game designers. Uh, so, yeah, there were definitely a lot of loops that were were intertwined in that. But, yeah, I, I was I was a gamer before I knew I was a gamer. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I think my first exposure to it was um, uh, the movie Mazes and Monsters, oh, which yeah. I, I didn't understand until later was supposed to be a cautionary tale. Uh, <laughs> I watched Mazes and Monsters and thought, that looks so cool that I totally missed the point. I mean, I was like eight, but <laughs> it was it just seemed like the coolest thing in the world to do. I, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I, I've got two copies on VHS hidden somewhere in this house. Nice. Uh, I, I had a copy of the book floating around for a long time. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I, I love the idea of gaming the, the first game I ever owned was the old Fossa Doctor Who role-playing game with man. some of the worst oh man, some of the worst rules ever. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, uh, I had been playing uh, basic D&D with a few friends at that point. Um, I still remember the first module, I think, that, that we played, which was Horror on the Hill. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, with the two rooms, I mean, big spoiler for the dungeon. Yeah, you get trapped <laughs> in there. There's a there's a, a room with like eight doors, and you go through them, and they just keep twisting around. Then you end up back in the room with eight doors. Ah, oh, turns out there are two rooms with eight doors. Like there, I just ruined the module <laughs> for everybody. Um, there are some guys from the BX boards. They're just going to be coming after me for that now. Uh, but uh, yeah, I loved. Uh, you put a game down in front of me, I play it. Like it's I, I I've never been picky. Um, you name a role playing game. If there's a table, uh, I'll I'll waste a few hours. Sure. Um, War gaming. I cut my teeth early uh, mm. with that too. With you know, some of the old Avalon Hill Avalon Hill uh, uh, war games. Um, uh, LARPing. I didn't get into until college. Um, after. SCA, because uh, I always thought it was weird. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, you know, but dressing up in tights and fighting with the sword, nah, it's perfectly normal. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so yeah, I've, I've been a gamer for uh, for a super long time. It's, it's like, it is the thing for me. Um, it's, it's actually hard <laughs> for me to choose on weekends um if i've got an opportunity to do gaming stuff or an opportunity to do sca stuff and there's a lot a lot of gamers in the sca too a lot of gamers in the sca right and i guess that's probably not a surprise right yeah no not not at all and you get a lot of guys who i think my one of my first meetings i asked very meekly like so um does anyone here like uh in here play D D? and everybody <laughs> in the room is like we got a session right after this. His persona <laughs> cares, dude. Like, yeah, it was every, you know, and the fact that I was the youngest person in the room at the time, I think, at 20. Um, you know, and there are a lot of these older people who are like, yeah, game this weekend. Like, that was really encouraging for me. Like, yes, when I get older, I'm still going to be playing. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Cool. I, I, I had a, a, a brief brush with the SEA. Ah, oh, geez, I guess I was probably in college at the time. Uh, I was working at a restaurant and one of the younger, younger guys that was, you know, also like a, like a bus boy or something. He was like, Oh, you got to come out to the, you know, to the, to the park this weekend. We've got this SCA thing. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, no, it's a society creative anachronism. And we get all dressed up. You know, you come down, you can be like an archer or whatever. You get like foam swords. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck <laughs> you're talking about. So I went down and they were doing a reenactment. It was, it was pretty cool. I I'd considered kind of getting in, and then he was, you know, kind of like laying it out because you've got, uh, you know, different baronies and you've got, you know, your kings and queens and all these different things. And I'm like, you know what? I, I can't. I, I don't want to. I don't want to do all that. Like that's too much for me. <laughs> yes, it is. So, so how? So how are things structured? So like, if you're part of the organization, the STA is like the overall uh, organizational body. Like, what? What is? How does a substructure work? Like, how does your individual uh, kingdom operate? Like, are there uh, you know, meetings that you have to attend? Is there like royal business or like, you know, court things? Like, is there things that take place outside of, hey, we're getting together this weekend for a reenactment? Yeah, there's uh, on, on the micro level, like every person, there is no expectation that every person has to be involved with the big ultra management of, of the bigger organization. And remember, this was a group that was started by a bunch of hippies. Um, at a party, you know, with, where that they build as a uh, um, as a protest against the modern age, you know, uh, the uh, there is a, a board of directors and a actual like legal structure, which I am in no way part of, um, because a really super big organization has to have that kind of managing body to it, and they do all the managing body legal type stuff. Um, Game side, uh, we have kingdoms. Kingdoms are, are geographical areas. Um, they are ostensibly ruled by a king and probably a king and queen, although we've changed some policies recently. Um, uh, the, uh, the crown is chosen by right of arms. Uh, there are two big, at least here in the East, there are two big tournaments every year. Fighters come out, winner ends up as king. Uh, his consort joins him. Uh, and they serve as prince for six months and then king and queen for six months. There's some figurehead stuff there. There's a lot of work on their part. There's a lot of delegation of responsibilities. Um, they rule because we let them. They rule because we believe. Uh, that's that's kind of a common uh, uh, saying around us. Um as you get into smaller geographical areas, you may have shires or baronies. These work just like chapters in a uh, 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 in a fan club. Same idea. There are offices in each of them, the same way that you might have a treasurer. Uh, we have treasurers. Uh, we we have uh, a seneschal who is the actual legitimate head of the organization for that little area who actually has to do with the day-to-day -day business, such as it is. Um, we have, we have people who oversee um, uh, safety and policy when it comes to our combat arts. Um, and those are smaller. They might be as big as a couple of counties. Now, here in the East, our East Kingdom goes everywhere from Delaware up to uh, Northeastern Canada. Uh, we're one of the 
biggest kingdoms, we're the second oldest, and we've got, like, I want to say we have the highest population density. Um, uh, other kingdoms like Atlantia, which is directly to our south, um, this is a chunk of the southeastern seaboard. Uh, our west kingdom is big chunks of California and some of the areas out there. Um, Drakenwald, which is Europe. Actually, I, I want to say everywhere overseas. Uh, I have to look that up. Um, you know, so uh, we have a global scale, but things get more manageable <laughs> as they get down into the local areas. Uh, and uh, if you don't want to be part of the management, you don't have to be part of the management. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, for those of us who are, it can get daunting. <laughs> and, and I think it does get a little intimidating. Uh, I take breaks frequently. Um, you know, uh, I skipped out on an event a couple of weeks, a local event a couple of weeks ago, because I just need a weekend of that. Um, but yeah, the organization is is uh, it, it's structured basically the same way as a as a, a, a fan club, um, just with uh, with better clothes. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of informality. You know, you might have little practices at people's houses or or. Uh, little meetings for poetry or for making clothes or that kind of thing. Um, you know, so I think there's a lot of that, you know, uh, a hippie community kind of attitude at its heart. And that's, I think that's probably one of the biggest attractions of it is that it's as big as the organization is, it feels like family. It still feels like a community. I, I like knowing that I can travel anywhere in the United States. And uh, if I look up an SCA chapter and I go in, you know, there's there's a commonality there, and we'll appreciate each other, and and I'll be I'll be generally pretty welcomed. And anyone who travels, you'll see emails going out to people. Hey, I have to be in town for uh, for work for a couple of weeks. Where are your local fighter practices or your fencing practices? Um, you know, can I come out and meet? I've, I've met people from all over the world. Um, we're just passing through, but they're in the SCA, so we hang out together and we'll go do our thing, have a few drinks afterwards. It, it, that sense of community is is definitely worldwide. It's one of the things that holds us in. Um, so, so I, do you think probably the majority of people just kind of, I don't want to say just show up on the weekend, but but by and large part, you know, you you come out for the event, you come out to you know to catch up with friends, and and like say if you're, you know, if you have a, a larger event that's drawing from you know multi-state areas, you know, it's kind of like a, a you know, like a reunion of sorts, I guess, when, you, when oh, everybody gets together. Yeah. That is a great way of describing it. Yeah, absolutely. The the bigger, well, number one, it's all volunteer. So things don't work unless you have volunteers. Um, so, uh, you know, it, generally if there's like a local event, I'm going to be there helping out because they're my local people. They're my friends. I want to see them succeed. So I'm going to I'm gonna do what I can to, to help them out. Either if it's going to be something that I think is really super fun, like I get to run the fencing tournament or something like that, or if I've got to wash dishes after the feast. Um, or help clean up the hall. Uh, you know, those are those are just as important. Um, you know, so there's that that community aspect to it. Again, that keeps everything running. And then the uh, the reunion part of it absolutely is a is a big thing. If there's a very large event, it's a it's a nice thing knowing that it might be drawing your friends from Massachusetts or from Maine or from Florida. Mm -hmm. um, say again? 
I say, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. It is. It is a neat. It is a neat thing. This this weekend we have our Yule celebration in Philadelphia. Oh wow! Which is going to be enormous, uh, and we have a lot of friends. I know. I know a few friends who are coming by who are who live a little bit further away, but even just for all the local people, you know, it's it's like a gigantic Christmas party, you know, with all of your extended family. <laughs> Where's now? Where in Philly is this going to be? Do you have like a park area, or is it a? We're, we're actually having it at the German Society, um, yeah. which is a gorgeous, gorgeous location. Um, uh, the The main hall is where we're going to be having our feast, which is gigantic and and beautiful. They have a Rathskeller downstairs, hmm. um, which you know keeps that great Renaissancey kind of bar feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are going to be people who are going to be spending the day down there. Uh, there's going to be music. She uh, is so much stuff. Um, arts and sciences displays. Um, a lot of some royal business is happening there. A few people are getting awards. Um, the king and queen and prince and princess are showing up. Uh, so that always makes it a bigger, more regal kind of thing. Yeah. Um, uh the the only thing that we ask of people when they're showing up for things like this for brand new people is an attempt at medieval garb um and we're pretty relaxed about the word attempt uh, <laughs> you know um we we try to make that barrier as low as possible uh, i think the next big event well the next big event after that in a week is a very big fencing tournament in Pennsylvania that's going to be drawing friends of ours from all over the East. We've got friends from Canada who are going to be coming down for it. Um, And again, all my friends from, you know, Maine, Massachusetts, Western PA, all over the East are going to be coming out for it. I expect we're probably, I think we've ended up with like 80 something fencers. Wow. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the reunion thing is a big, awesome feeling. We have a, a huge event out in Western Pennsylvania called Penzik, uh, the Penzik War, uh, which draws <clears throat> a little over 10,000 people every year. Wow. Holy cow. Two-week-long event. Technically, we're a city. Um, <laughs> and by, by numbers, uh, which means like, you have to have all of the things that Pennsylvania requires for a community there. You have, like a, you have like a temporary zip code? Is that... <laughs> I, we might actually. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me. If we did. That's funny. Um, uh, but you want to talk about a reunion like that? That's the one. Um, you know, people prep for this thing all year, and then a week's. You know, whether you're spending one week, two weeks out there, you know, there's that chance to run into those friends from Australia um, <laughs> that you only see once a year. Uh, you know, those, those friends from Arizona, um, California, uh, I'm just thinking of places that I have friends from Colorado, Florida, you know, who are going to make it up there. This is my one chance a Mm. year to see them. And it's just like any other big family gathering, you squeeze as much time (laughs) as you can. Um, and you're going through the day, enjoying their company, fencing, fighting, whatever it is you're doing that day at night partying, dancing, reveling, um, you know, and then uh, you go on your 50-week town run 
<laughs> and and then wait for next year. It's Brigadoon, yeah. Nice. What's the what? What's the largest combat you've ever been a part of? You're talking about ten thousand people. Obviously, they're not all, you know, fighting or fighters. But uh, so what? The, As, like I'm thinking role models. You know, there's just yeah, exactly right. Just kind of running around. <laughs> um. I have helped uh, service as a, a kind of safety officer for the the large field battles, which I'd have to look at the numbers. I want to say something in the thousands. Wow, that's um, and uh, you know, it was my job to just kind of hold the you know to to be the marker where the where the battlefield ended. Mm -hmm. um, just me and a stick. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> That went about as well as you'd expect it to. Um, <laughs> right. kind, of, kind of flowed over to me, and then kind of flowed over me. And uh, <laughs> nice. it was. Uh, I remember one of the last things I remember was seeing a diamond pattern on this guy's armor, and just thinking, "That's really interesting. I wonder if he rivets every corner of that." And uh, then people were helping me up, and, <laughs> and like, "Man, are you okay?" And uh, like, yeah, yeah, that was uh, only eight guys running me over. So I guess that was, yeah. <laughs> um, the largest that I've personally fought in, a um, uh, couple of hundred to a side. Mm. Wow. Um, no, with, uh, our fencing equipment, which uh, was still not, not nothing. Mm. Uh, mm. That was, uh, it's an experience. Um, yeah, I, the, the Esprit de Corps, uh, that you feel with your friends out there is a lot of fun. Um, and uh, the the visceral sense of, of a fight where you know that you're not going to die, you know? Yeah. Um, in that kind of, like we have actually at the Pensick Field, there's a, there's a castle. Um, they, nice. they built a nice piece of castle wall there. And one of our battles is storming the castle. So... We have built rubber band guns, like not, you know, little cheesy desk rubber band, surgical tube, rubber band guns, pistols and muskets. And uh, so we're assaulting this thing and with with our little with our firearms. Um, <laughs> some of my friends have built a rubber band cannon. Nice. That, that actually fires sur giant surgical tube. Um it's a really fun experience. And uh, after, yeah, after you're done assaulting that side, switch sides. Now you get to go defend it. And, uh, you know, it, at the end, the enemies are coming through the gates. You, it is exhilarating when you see a couple of hundred people trying to flow through your gate that you are defending. Mm -hmm. You, your friend on one side, and some guy who has just become your friend on your other side. <laughs> And you really do feel that moment of, well, this is this is it, guys. We're in this together, you know. And it, it's uh, and you walk away exhilarated, and you walk away smiling and laughing, and and you know, patting dudes on the back, um, and congratulating them on killing you. Uh, <laughs> the camaraderie. Exactly. There's there's a video, um, of a we we actually built siege engines like relatively safe siege engines. Um, and Relative. there's a video of someone <laughs> with a ballista 
that fires these golf tubes um, with tennis balls on the end of it. And when you get hit with one, I've been hit with one. When you get hit with one, you you know you're hit. Um, we have rules that say how far you're allowed to be to be hit by one of these. And, and these dudes are fighting in steel armor with big wooden weapons. And you're allowed to attack the, the team that mans the ballista. And the video, someone had a GoPro on their helmet. And you see this dude break out of the battle. He's charging the ballista. Sword <laughs> up. He's running right at it. And God bless him. They fire that ballista. It hits him square in the chest. He dies. Um, and then he gets up and he's walking towards the ballista team. And as he gets closer, you can hear him laughing. Yeah. <laughs> High-fiving everyone on the team. Just, guys, that was great. That was a perfect shot. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, that, that. That's that's what I'm there for. That kind of camaraderie. I, I fencing tournaments that I'm in. Uh, if if you kill me, I will very likely smile and tell you how good a shot that was. Um, uh, because why wouldn't I? It's not you're not actually killing me. Uh, <laughs> and, and if you get better, I have more fun. Uh, you know, it, it's it's that kind of. It, honor, chivalry, courtesy, you know, they, they mean something there. Not in a goofy kind of, oh, my lady kind of thing, but it is a, you know, uh, it's a place to display them. It's a it's a place to, to have those things that you read about. You know, mm -hmm. even though historically, you know, with chivalry different, yeah, absolutely. But, you know, we get to keep that romantic ideal going there. Mm-hmm. Now, now, with all that stuff, you say wooden swords, are, are they foam wrapped? Do you have like more of a boffer sword, or is it like a wooden no. training sword? They, they're rattan. Rattan is a, um, yeah. is a bamboo. Mm -hmm. And the uh, uh, there's no foam. Uh, it is just the bare bamboo uh, that's wrapped with usually duct tape or something that prevents it from, from splintering. Right, right. Um, and that's it. Uh, and uh, there are standards for uh, uh, what can be used for helmets, for body armor, for stuff like that. What parts of the body have to be covered uh, with what kind of material. Um, but our heavy weapons guys use weapons generally made out of rattan. And when I say bamboo, I don't mean a little thin. I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. sticks of rattan. Um, we also have... Uh, steel fighting using fencing weapons, not like epes and, and foils, the little collegiate things. Um, I'm looking around in my office to see if I've got any of my fencing equipment here. Um, and I do. I have one of my rapiers here. Nice. There's a shock. And a little rapier. Um, so uh, not a traditional Olympic fencing weapon. Uh, a little bit heavier. I can actually do more historically appropriate swordsmanship with this. Mm -hmm. um, armor is less. Uh, basically, I wear good thick fabric. Um, uh, it is safety tipped, not sharp. Uh, uh, so we've got that going. And uh, we've also got cut and thrust, which is a relatively new 
combat form. I have that weapon here as well, now that I'm thinking about it. Uh, I actually use this guy there for that. Again, not sharp. I don't have a tip on this, but I usually do. I took it off so I could keep it in the scabbard. Um, again, more historically accurate kind of fighting. Not hitting hard with this. Nobody's getting hurt. Um, mm. But we get to we get to practice um, with these. Uh, we also have archery. Um against non-living targets. Uh, we also have combat archery against living targets. Um, you're not using real arrows with those. Uh, those are the big martial things. Horsemanship, but that's not really a... You don't really see... There's no jousting against other people, but we do have equestrians. Mm-hmm. Now, with, now, with that many people and, and, and that's like kind of weapons and things, um, how, how many injuries do you typically see in a, in a long weekend or less any than, less than, I, I think we, we said our numbers are less than high school football. Um, wow. okay. if I see one injury in a tournament, that's a lot. Um, okay. we don't, that's good. we don't see many, um, we don't hit hard. We train ourselves, uh, Fencing-wise, since that's my specialty, we train ourselves to hit very lightly. Um, it's more about the the technique and being able to place the shot than it is, you know, to, to swing hard. Our rules prevent that, actually. Um, the most common fencing injuries you see are your general sports injuries. Uh, hold muscles. Sprains and uh, stuff. Sprain, the occasional sprain. Um very rarely, if someone is hit hard, you know, then there might be something uh, as a result of that. Uh, the heavy weapons guys, the guys who are swinging the wood weapons around in the steel armor. Um, I saw one injury last weekend, maybe two, uh, out of a full day of fighting. Uh, they don't usually see, you know, and again, I think it's more sports-related kind of injuries than anything else. Um we take our safety really, really seriously. Um, we inspect all of our gear before going out onto the field every time. Um, if there's anything questionable, it's taken off the field. Um, you know, we want to be able to drink with our friends afterwards. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's no messing around with with this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it's one of the things that makes me feel good about it as a as a reenactment group you know we we care about the people we're fighting um you know the everyone i fight is my friend so i'm going to make absolutely certain and if i do something wrong if something does get if someone does get hurt um you know we (laughs) we look to see what happened and do everything in our power to keep that from ever happening again um accidents happen Uh, yeah you know uh I've taken super hard hits. Um, I've I've rethought my armor <laughs> after <laughs> and said, yeah, you know, maybe I should change what I'm what I put around my throat uh, <laughs> from from some of these. Um, but we're really the safety is the number one concern off of everything, so we're really careful about what goes what goes out onto that field. Gotcha. All right. And you have to be with so many people, right? I mean, in, in such a litigious society that we have, even though you know going in, like you sign up to do the thing, you're like, no, that guy hit me and it was too hard. And I mean, 
have you have you seen anything like that? I mean, have you seen of you know either people taking offense to you know maybe a hit that they thought was too hard, or uh, you know, is there some sort of uh, you know adjudication or anything while yeah. you guys are are out over the weekend where people sure. can bring grievances and things? Oh, sure. We've uh, when it comes to the when it comes to the fighting stuff, um, you know. Uh, we have we have uh, marshals who are standing on the outside who serve as a combination of uh, kind of uh, safety warden and referee. Um, but it's up to the individual honor of the person fighting to be able to say whether or not they're they're killed, you know. And it's no fun <laughs> if someone doesn't take a blow, mm, uh, right. you know. And eventually, reputations develop if if that happens and we're an organization based on chivalry, courtesy and honor. So you would hope that that social pressure keeps that from happening. Um, I've been in very large tournaments where I have thrown a shot at someone that I thought was good and they said it wasn't. The only thing I could do is walk away going, well, I knew I hit him and that was, that's all I need. Or maybe I really do need to work on, on what I'm doing. Um, and I'm sure I've had it happen t- from me as well. I am I am absolutely certain, no doubt, that I've missed shots that have been thrown on me um, because of whatever reason, you know, heavy padding in my armor or, you know, or they might have thought the shot was good and it wasn't, whatever. You know, the, the a lot of times we'll talk. After the blows go, you'll see people stop and go, was that, do you think that was good? Did you did you feel pressure on that? I wasn't sure. You know that that moved my shirt, but it didn't touch me. I don't think. Um, did that really hit you? No, it hit my pouch. That was that was just sitting here. Um, sleeves are poofy sometimes, so you know, nah, that hit the sleeve. It didn't hit my arm. Um, for the guys who are fighting in heavy armor, uh, you know, they have to be able to tell that the blow was good underneath the armor. And they're the only one that's in that armor, so they have to be, you know, they really are up to there. And they'll ask. They'll say, I just saw it at our crown tournament a few weeks ago where we chose our king, where someone turned around and said, did you think that shot was good? Asking the marshal there, asking other fighters there, I'm not certain. Did you think that shot was good? It's a great example of, of chivalry and honor in his case, you know, um, so there's a lot of that. Are there grievance policies? Yeah, absolutely. You know, if things get bad enough, there are lines that you could send things up and down. Um, but uh, it always, we try to have it stop right there on the field. Um, oh, God. No, no, that's, that's you know, we're family. <laughs> we we want to make that, right. you know, we want to make our friends happy. Like I, like I keep saying, yeah, we're friends out there. We want to, we want to keep the happiness going. Um, Now, is it, is it a single shot kill? So like if you get hit in the arm, are you dead or is it, Oh, you put your arm behind your, but now fight one handed. Yeah. There's, there's some of that. Um, There's some point scoring systems on it for fencing a thrust or a six inches of a cut will disable a limb um, a thrust or a cut to the body or the head kills you. Uh, heavy weapons, it's a little different, but it's still the same kind of idea that if a blow hits you in the right place. Um, leg, lose a leg, you go down onto your knees. Um, you know, so there's that there's that abstraction to it. 
Um, and again, you know, you'll get people who will say, you know, I'm not sure, was that arm or body? You know, and a lot of times people want to keep, everyone wants to keep fighting. You know, right, right. <laughs> call it arm. You know, <laughs> and, right. and the other guy throws away his weapon and they, they keep fighting because more more fighting is more good. Right. We I, we used to get that. I used to play a lot of paintball, and it was the same thing. Not so much with you know like losing a limb, but like, hey, did that hit? And somebody screaming, "I got you! I got you!" And like, no paint, no paint. <laughs> yeah, I, I do a little bit of paintball too. Yes, yeah, so that's no. There's nothing. There's nothing there. That's no. That's from the tree. That's yeah. <laughs> or, or, or conversely, like you know, you said if you're armored up enough, or if it hits you like just in a weird spot or whatever, you'd be like, "Oh, I didn't see that paint. That's my bad." Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. maybe you find out a couple of minutes later, and you're like, "Hey, no, I'm out." You know, I I got I was hit. Somebody hit me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there's you green. green all over me. <laughs> there's, you know, there's I I used to have a pair of gloves that uh, when I first started fencing, I I used to wear uh, my motorcycle gauntlets, and they were padded back you know, past the hand. And uh, one of my first tournaments, I fence, I do my thing, and one of the marshals afterwards comes over to me and he just starts tapping me on, on my forearm where the padding is. And he does it for about 30 seconds. And he looks at me and he goes, tell me when you start feeling something. And what had happened was apparently this dude kept hitting me in the hand. And I never noticed it. Because what well, we were using these little thin foils and that base at the time my gloves are you know motorcycle gauntlets had it um and i just didn't i just didn't feel it and i was like oh gee you know we talked about it and there's actually we actually have rules about how we calibrate through armor so that you can actually know like oh okay well that's that's something else there you know there's oh you got extra padding on that glove oh you're wearing an extra piece of safety equipment over your chest um you know, we have friends. I've got a friend who has a, a heart condition, so he wears a, a big plastic pauldron over part of his chest when he fences. So he tells you before you go out there, hey, you know, if you hit me here and I don't react, tell me. And I'll right. take it as dead because I've got this plastic on. Um, you know, when I was uh, right after, I think, my heart surgery, I was doing that. And uh, I was doing the same kind of thing and going, well, you know, I'm wearing extra thick. I wore an extra shirt underneath my armor. And telling people like, yeah, you know, if you think you got me, just let me know, you know, and I'll, I'll take the shot. All right, that's cool. Is is there a minimum age requirement because of the combat aspects and things like that for people to be able to participate? For the grown up stuff, uh, I want to say eighteen. I think there's a six. I think there's a rule in there for sixteen with special provisions. Mm-hmm. In some places, we have youth combat. Oh, um, okay. We'll we'll dress the kids up in uh, in armor and give them boffer. And for uh, for the heavy weapon stuff, and uh, foils and net base for the for the uh, combat fencing, um, and they go pretty young, and they go into elementary school age. Um, wow! Yeah, and it's you know the reason that's awesome is because it keeps the family activity going. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you get the whole multi generational thing. Um, you know, I, I can think of at least one friend of mine you know, who started as a child. Uh, when I first met him, you know, he was the, the kid who used to go get our ice. Um, <laughs> you know, and now he's, uh, you know, uh, married, super cool, and, you know, fences with me. Uh, you know, he started out as a, 
as a child doing all this stuff. But yeah, we've got we've got all the activities for all the kids. Um, <laughs> archery, there's no age limit, so kid wants to shoot, give him a bow, teach him the rules. Hmm. That's cool. Um, is there like any sort of yearly dues or anything associated with SCA? If you want to be an actual paid member, yeah. Yeah, then uh, you pay. What's the difference? 45 bucks, I think. Um, discount at the door nowadays. Hmm. Uh, the uh, As a member, um, I can hold offices. So if, oh, okay. uh, if my local group needs, you know, uh, uh, a local fencing marshal, the guy who runs fencing, you know, to actually sit in the meetings. Um, or if I want to hold any of the offices, I have to be a member. Um, that makes sense. Voting uh, in local, like uh, if we, some of our territorial barons and baronesses actually come about from a vote. Um, to be able to vote, I have to be a member. Um, the nicest thing about being a member is I'm contributing to the organization. So, you know, that, that money is getting used for the insurance <laughs> that's covering me. Right. Right. Um, and we get a discount at the door nowadays uh three bucks five bucks i don't remember because i've been a steady member now for quite a while <laughs> um so i barely even uh i barely even noticed we used to have a rule that said you couldn't have awards unless you were a member um that was uh, that was a motivation so, so is there any so like if you're not at an event um you know you guys are kind of doing like your daily stuff mm -hmm. is there any sort of like behind the scenes like larp stuff because you know is there like undermining the king or are there any like court <laughs> intrigues or, like is there any sort of like vampire-esque yes. <laughs> larping that goes around in the background um not as such but the stuff that goes on in the background and recently making friends with people who have ended up being kings and queens and making friends with people being friends with people who are part of the leadership of the organization. Um, a lot of that leadership doesn't, you know, that work doesn't end outside of the event, you know, um, dealing with either le the legalities, you know, if there are some policy things that have to be dealt with and seeing how they deal with that, um, uh, dealing with uh, uh getting awards we have an award structure some of those awards are based on um the advice of the members who already have those awards um so those happen outside of game so to speak um you know so there's some discussion that's probably the closest we get to court intrigue uh, are you know those of us who are deciding who gets the next award um uh you know so there's a lot of management that goes on outside of it as for political machinations uh, uh, to to uh, dethrone princes, etc. Nah, nah. We do do a little bit of that in shtick sometimes because we do have a court kind of structure. Um, court is where all of our business is done, and court is theater. So um, uh, at least once during court, a friend of mine and I um, a long time ago uh, had. Um, kidnapped a local baron, uh, <laughs> and uh, we made a we made a shtick of it. Now it turns out that guy's a gigantic practical joker, and he turned it around on us and and didn't let us in on the joke. And we were <laughs> held by the royal guard for a while while we, we had to find this baron. Um, 
and prove that we didn't actually steal his coronet, like this actually really nice, precious metal coronet. Um, so there are things that kind of that kind of shtick that goes on. I've I've been involved in duels um, with my friends because someone said something that <laughs> I triggered the right kind of response. Of, <laughs> Let's settle that with steel tomorrow. Nice. Um, uh, totally, you know, maybe mostly tongue in cheek. And again, we're all friends, so it's not like we're actually uh, we're actually doing this in ire. Um, uh, some kings and queens have their own type of shtick that they want to have performed because of their particular personas, because of the region or the time period that they're portraying would have this particular kind of thing happening around them. They may, they may uh, uh, have something staged or set up to be able to do. One of our kings uh, had a Roman persona, and he, uh, the day of his coronation, um, when he was being made king, he came into court in his um, uh, in his gladiator gear. So nothing regal on him at all. I, I, if I remember right, he was barefoot with a spear. <laughs> and part of the shtick was somebody saying, "Are you are you kidding? This guy's going to be our king? Like, look at him. He's some slave that just got pulled in here from the fighting pits, and uh, he staged." slapped him and and knocked him down and you know there was that kind of fun sort of thing um you know so uh if, <laughs> anything for a good laugh uh there's that kind of thing that goes on there unfortunately we don't have a mechanic in place <laughs> for the big kind of yeah masquerade-esque <laughs> sort, yeah, of, yeah. sort of machinations <laughs> Sure, and I, and I, you know, I guess as big as the kingdoms are, it would be kind of hard to even even if you did have mechanics try to coordinate that stuff. Like, sure, individual groups of people could sort of do it, or you know, maybe the officers in the court wanted to, you know, kind of, you know, mockingly, you know, not mockingly, but you know, sort of get in that practical joke esque yeah. aspect of you know, let's you know do some weird shit in the kingdom or something. But, but to get like whole groups of people, I imagine it would be a real nightmare. <laughs> you want to know what does happen, which is really interesting. Um, you find some people, if they really enjoy one particular part of history, and it's a little more obscure, they're going to try to, whenever possible, have it portrayed somewhere where people are going to see it. So um, the guy who started me fencing, um, went and he arranged all of this beforehand, he had himself arrested for dueling and then put on trial in court for, for public dueling. This is a historical thing for the period, of, the, the period of time that he was portraying and the nation that he was portraying. And he was doing it as an educational thing. He wanted to show people what a trial for this type of thing was. That's kind of what I do with the duels, that I, I study a lot of Renaissance history in terms of dueling culture and the laws surrounding it. So if there's a chance, I will, if, if there's a chance for me to start a duel, I'm jumping into it, um, <laughs> and, do it and do it publicly and get people interested in seeing that part of history and what, what that kind of was. Um, I know someone who, uh, for a... Um, 
for a performance competition, uh, red entrails. <laughs> so she not actual entrails, uh, but she got a a a um, a crocheted bunny. I think it was a bunny, um, and read the entrails from it uh, nice. as part of a performance thing. Uh, so there's going to be these opportunities where if you've got groups of people or individuals who are really, really into something, they're going to find an opportunity to be able to display it. And that's going to be the closest thing you get to that sort of, you know, uh, uh, massive amounts of people doing some type of, of courtly uh, sort of thing. Um, whether you've got people who are portraying a military unit or a, uh, a royal household or um, uh uh, or or uh, some other type of group, uh, some civic group or something, they're going to find these opportunities and they're going to take what they've researched. They're going to bring materials and they're going to show it off. Um, and generally, it's going to be pretty well accepted. Uh, the courts are usually pretty good on on being able to show off this kind of stuff and taking a couple of minutes to show off the really cool things. That's cool. Now, now you, uh, you, know, you practice the fencing and sword fighting. Are you, um, do you teach... At SCA events, do you are you teaching professionally, or are you interested in teaching professionally to people who may be interested? I'm I'm very interested in that, and there is a mechanism in place that I could do that through uh, historical European martial arts chapters through HEMA clubs, hmm. um, which I haven't gone through the process yet of doing. Now uh, I teach a lot in the SCA. Um, one of my favorite activities is to teach fencing. Um, I'm taking a little bit of a break from it. I had some medical problems recently um, where uh, uh, doctors advised best if I stay off my feet for a little while. Um, I'm also reevaluating kind of how I teach. Um, and again, the SCA has very specific kind of rules. So if I'm teaching in the SCA, I'm teaching for SCA fencing. Um, I really would like to teach and and spread more Western, uh, more work on Western swordsmanship outside of the SCA. Um, there are groups out there that do it. Um, like I said, historical European martial arts chapters uh, are big for that. Um, and when I'm healed up, that's definitely on the uh, that's definitely on the itinerary. Hmm. Very cool. Um, let's see what else we have here. <laughs> Vin says, I know that you are a huge collector of fighting manuals. Yes. Uh, how how yeah. easy is it to, so are they uh, historical fighting manuals or does it like run the gamut? How hard is something like that to find, especially more, you know, of a historical stuff? Oh, how hard is it to find? Oh, grab this one here. <laughs> There's one. There <laughs> um, I'm in my office, so it's cheating a little bit. Um, mm. There's been this giant renaissance, no pun intended, uh, of interest in Western sword fighting. So there are a lot of scholars out there who are going out and finding uh, these old fighting manuals from the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, mm. um, translating them and putting them to market. Um, it's it's a gigantic undertaking <laughs> to be able to do it. Um, I've met a few of the the authors um, and practitioners who are doing it. Um, 
they uh, they run the gambit, uh, you know, from 1400s to most of mine, uh, 15 and 1600s. Um, they continued making them. Well, they're fighting manuals that exist today. Um, uh, enormous amount of them are on Amazon. That's the great thing about it. That <sighs> they uh, they found we found publishers for them, and there's an actual want. There's a need for them. Um, <laughs> And the practitioners who are using them are doing the scholarly thing. They're looking at the translation and they're seeing if it treads water. Um, they're comparing translations. Um, they're practicing what's in these manuals in earnest uh, and seeing what is actually practical, what actually works, what doesn't work. Um, and they're adjusting their interpretations based on that. Um, they're discovering that there are words that don't really have English translations that existed from back then. Uh, and we're determining what these terms mean. Mm -hmm. um, how is it supposed to work? What is a stringere? And how does one stringere a blade? <laughs> um, means to string. How does one string a blade? Cavazione. Um, uh, how does one properly cavazione? Uh, is it really a disengage, or are you fully engaged or not engaged? Um, you know, uh, so the scholarship is there, and it's happening. Um, uh, the really cool thing is that some of the guys who are doing this, you know, like I said, they're going to the original sources. Um, they're going to the museums. They're going to the libraries that have these and saying, okay, nobody's seen this thing. And for a long while, we know it exists. We know multiple versions of it exist. I want to reproduce it. Hmm. Um, and they're getting the money together, some of them through crowdfunding. Um, and they're reproducing them. And like I said, they're working on the translations themselves. Uh, and they're putting them out onto the market. And then guys like me pick them up and we practice them and see if this is practical. Does it actually work? Um, it's outstanding. Are you reviving this lost art? It's, I like to think of it as keeping it alive. Yeah. You know, um, that's one of the things that got me into, into the SCA was somebody saying, you know, without us, some of these things die. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, full stop, you know, and with, you know, as I'm looking up at my, you know, a small collection of my manuals from up here, um, you know, I feel really good that there are entire hobbies out there of people who are arguing about how to practice these things. Western martial arts has gotten a really big following now. Um, well, maybe not really big, really big compared to other small hobbies, I guess. But there are a lot of people out there who are, who are really discussing seriously, how are we supposed to use a sword? How did they use it in history? And why does it matter? Um, you know, uh, and you, these are the same questions they were asking back then. You know, I've got a, I've got a German fighting manual from the 1500s that says, you know what, in this age of, of cannon and musket and shot, let's go back to learning what the value of the sword is and, and the things that are important about soldiering. Um, and, and the connection that, that we as soldiers have by fighting with swords. That's pretty damn progressive for, for someone in the 1500s. Yeah. Um, cool. I've got other fencing manuals that say, you know, 
we uh, the purpose of the sword is for the defending of God and the defending of one's queen. Great, you know, saying nothing in there about about personal violence or you know those types of things. But it really is. Here's here's what I'm going to teach you. This is why it's a noble art. This is why it's important. Um, I've got other manuals up there that stress the science of uh, of sword fighting, and that say that just as you know, uh, just as an animal uses claws, um, we have ways of using these swords that fall into nature. It's appropriate, you know. And here's how here's how it falls into nature. Um, yeah, I, I, I apologize. I keep glancing up at him. So I'm like, yeah, I love these. <laughs> this is, and I'm going to keep rambling. Um, you know, I just want to grab them and start opening up to pages and just go, here, here's something about nationalism and about Italian pride and fighting. And here's another one on on why, uh, why the English form of fighting is important to, to maintain English culture and tradition. And... Um, why why you shouldn't yeah another book that says why you don't teach people who are angry or quick to anger and you only you know it's a scholarly thing and man it's uh there's a lot um i i keep learning more and more about our culture today by studying renaissance swordsmanship um uh not just about things like personal honor and and things like that but really <laughs> they had the same arguments in the 1500s about carrying sidearms that we do now. Right, right. Um, they had the arguments of, is an armed society safer? Or is it more dangerous because suddenly everybody's armed? Hmm. And who who should be carrying arms? Should we be limiting it to a smaller population? Was well, it with all these kids going out there and learning how to fence? That's a fight start. Um, Damn kids, get off my lawn! Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of nationalism in there. You know, I, I've learned more about immigration laws in England in the 1500s by studying fencing hmm. um, than I ever expected to, and then realizing that they had the same fears uh, that in England in the 1500s they were terrified of these Italians who were coming over with their crazy religion. And clearly, they're all coming over to subvert the the lawful religion and the laws of England. You know, um, can't trust those wild Italians and their super long swords and their crazy poetry. Um, same same kind of arguments that we're having today. I keep looking up at those manuals. I guess. So. Um, well, I can kind of see the nationalism aspect of it, right? Because if if as a culture. Uh, or or a principality like so like maybe you know the area in Venice has different you know swordsmanship than you know uh, in Rome or whatever that they would be very um, uh, you know I, I think it, uh, akin to like Japanese you know swordsmanship and like individual martial arts you know Chen style Chen style and Yang style Yang style and never those two are going to mix so I, I can kind of see that you know those sort of things would all you know, sort of be mashed together in, in that martial, martial aspect of, of swordsmanship. And, and, you know, by extension, like you're saying, you know, the, the larger, you know, um, you know, and, and how those things really, it's interesting because you wouldn't, you're like, oh, you know, who buys books on, on swordsmanship? And then, you know, to hear you talk about it and see all these things sort of come out of that, hey, it's a fighting manual, but it's not just a fighting manual. 
there's swords were fashion in when you hit the 1500s um the rapier uh is just as much a fashion statement as it is a sidearm the the rapier is your prada bag um it's your gucci purse um to wear it means you're showing off um you might be saying you have money you might be saying you're educated um now here's where that parallel really does match nowadays there are a lot of people out there with prada bags and and chanel purses that should not have prada bags and chanel purses um you know they got it because it helps them look rich well they did the same thing so you have a lot of middle class people who are wearing you know this sidearm that looks really cool um and it's a symbol of of wealth uh and a certain amount of coolness um and the italians who were coming in were teaching how to use this sword this really long really kind of pretty sword and it, they were fighting differently than the english were uh the english had this very this, this very practical attitude towards sword fighting very egalitarian everybody should use the same kind of sword uh mm -hmm. roughly the same kind of style it's meant to defend your home here come the italians saying hey this is actually for personal defense and it's a piece of fashion there's a fear when something new comes into your country so you know it just like in the 50s and the 60s when parents were afraid of that rock and roll rotting their kids minds um people were afraid of these italian sword fighting masters coming into their city and saying well here's this new fashion and it flew in the face of how they were doing things before so there was pushback there was fear um there was violence as a result of it um and it boils down to fashion and money more than anything else uh, keeping up with the joneses keeping up with the rest of europe who were wearing this cool new kind of sidearm um before the wearing of arms you know fell out of fashion not too long after that mm -hmm. oh yeah firearms made that you know, mm -hmm. pretty much a zero-sum game. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, uh, laws. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a, a, a... And turning things into sport. Every good martial activity eventually gets turned into sport, right? Yeah. right you know, yeah. So fisticuffs turn into boxing. Um, the practice of arms um, turns into fencing. And instead of, you know, instead of rapiers... You know, we go back down to foils and FAs and sabers, and you get to see it all nice and safe in the Olympics. Um, and uh, we don't have uh, dueling mm -hmm. in the streets. Right. <laughs> well, so I, I, I wonder, and, and I don't know how familiar you are with, with, you know, Japanese swordsmanship and history. What, so on the assumption that you do, what what's the main difference between, you know, European martial arts in regards to swordsmanship and Japanese arts in regards to swordsmanship? There are people who could answer that question better than I can. Um, I figured I'm, I would ask since you're talking. <laughs> I know just a little about Japanese swordsmanship. Um, um, we do have a lot of people in the SCA who do know. Um, I focus mostly on swordsmanship that might have been done by civilians. 
So that 1500 swash, you know, what we associate with swashbucklers nowadays. Um, you know, the, the defense of the common man. Mm -hmm. um, I can describe pretty, no, maybe not pretty well. There's, I'll say this, I can say this with, with some authority. There are tremendous similarities between using a katana and a two-handed sword or a long sword. Um, in, in just how you cut some techniques, my friends and I have noticed this seeing some really cool, you know, people who know how to use katanas. And then I stand there with a long sword and go, oh, well, that guard that you're doing there, oh, we've got one of those in German swordsmanship too. Oh, that guard that you're doing there, but we've got one of those in Italian swordsmanship too. So yeah. there are a lot of similarities to it. You know, you stand me there with someone and I'll show them to you. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the great thing I've learned from watching Eastern and Western martial arts is that there's more similarities than there are differences. You know, the bodies are meant to work in a particular way. Um, so what works for me is generally going to work for you too. And again, it's that nice, not to sound too, too, uh, hippie about it, but I like that connection. You know, if there's anything that I can connect with anyone else across this planet with, you know, we can, we can do it through martial arts. I can, I can show the similarities between what I study and what somebody in Korea or Japan or, or China studies. Right. Makes and, sense. and it doesn't have to be the, the necessarily the martial aspect of it, but it's the, you know, the philosophy and everything behind it. It's not just, okay, I stab you, you know, there's, there's so much more to martial arts than just. Oh, of course. Yeah. Than just the, than just the physical practice of it, you know, very quickly I'll mention, you know, my, my kid's martial arts instructor, when I was showing him a page from a, from an Italian fencing manual and this one really, really ugly, stupid looking guard that looks like it has absolutely no purpose. And I showed it to him. And I said, can you guess what this is for? And he said, an overhand blow coming down onto your head. I said, yes, that's exactly what it is. He said, we have one of those in Kung Fu. And it's the exact same <laughs> the exact same hand position. It's the exact same arm position. The only difference is you're holding a sword. I'm like, perfect. That's awesome. It's the exact right. same. The fencing one is the exact same defense. Nice. Um, well, that... that uh... That's pretty cool. I like it. <laughs> uh, it was, uh... <laughs> he seems underwhelmed, everybody. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. By the way, like, and I mean, it's it's also a little late for me because I'm a nerd, you know. But it's uh... no, 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 no. It's it's not that all. I actually love I love talking about this stuff and listening <laughs> and learning more. I it's just it's it. And this is, I blame John, but this is a good thing. We went so far afield from our original questions and we delved a little bit deeper into just a few, like, all right, well, that's, that's great. Uh, but I wanted to flip it back around to the, like the gaming table as it were and, yeah, <laughs> and find out a little bit more about what you're working on, what you're playing and um, what your preferences are as far as DMing versus being a player. Man. And feel free to start off with any of those. Okay. Right now I'm, I'm kind of in a slump. I haven't gotten a chance to do a lot of playing or running recently because life, injuries, mm. that kind of crap. Um, but a few of my friends and I, we pulled out the old um, TSR Marvel Super Heroes game. Oh, nice. And wow. I'm running. Now, the running joke with any game, uh, and Vince, I know you can back me up on this. Mm. Any game that I run, eventually 
will turn into Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I apologize to all of my players for that. And I promised my Marvel group, I promised them, this is a super game. This is not going to become Call of Cthulhu. Don't worry about it. They're playing New Mutants. I'm doing it very Chris Claremont, 80s New Mutants style. Nice. Fantastic. Except it also involves an occult village somewhere in Eastern Europe and Doctor Who. <laughs> Uh, and Doctor Who manipulating a a uh, a mutant who can summon demons, so mm. that and uh, eventually summon Mephisto to the uh, to to Earth, so that Doom can defeat him here on. on yeah. I'm still sensing a, a an HP Lovecraft theme there. It's a... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, and that's, I'll apologize to them later. Um, so that was, uh, that was a, a, a big fun thing. I am having more fun right now hand-drawing D&D maps mm. than anything else. You know, you're, uh, you're, you're, I've seen some of your work, you have few things you've posted on your blog and such, and, and a few things in person. Um, your maps are really, really good, very intricate, very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, it's it's that connection back to being a little kid, you know, yeah. with, uh, you the know. The hex paper and the graph paper. And <laughs> yeah, you know, it, I, I'm loving just sitting there with, with a couple of pencils and, you know, and, and drawing something out. Um, uh, I would love to get some type of old school D&D uh, thing playing now and again. It's, it's hard as hell for me to find people for that. Mm. Um, I'm in love with Fifth Ed. Um I get to play it very rarely. Uh, I really enjoy the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, continuing the retro theme, I should be doing a, a D6 Star Wars game sometime. <laughs> nice. Down to the area. You, you were doing the the, uh, the Star the um, the tabletop war game Star Wars. Uh, what's that called? Um, X Wing. Hey, that's it. Yeah. I I love X Wing. The thing that kills me for playing X Wing is that there are people who take it seriously. And whenever anyone, like, look, I just want to move an X-Wing, like a bunch of little X-Wing minis <laughs> around the table and make pew few noises. <laughs> like, all of my builds, all of my lists are all very, like, no, this is Wedge and, and Luke, where they're coming back from a patrol, and they've got, like, there is no practicality to it whatsoever. There is a backstory to my lists. Thank you very much. <laughs> there you um, go. Which means I lose a lot. Uh, you know, and when you got guys who are hardcore, you know, furled brow over the war table, oh, man. Star Wars, dude. <laughs> and TIE Fighters. We should be making pew-pew noises and freaking, like, why doesn't somebody have, like, a Chewbacca action figure sitting next to me here, man? <laughs> God, uh, yeah, that's that's my big fun. You know, I, I don't get to do that enough either. Um, those are those are the big things. I'm I'm in a little bit of an adult gaming slump right now. Um, I want to do more, and and I'm starting to get attracted by a lot of different things too. I'm I'm on a few LARPing boards on on Facebook, so now oh, I'm so much out there. Yeah, you know, and getting really like, man, they do some awesome stuff. Um, you know, just the, what people are making, it's really gorgeous. I want to oh, be yeah. part of that. Um, you know, war gamers, I've always loved simulationist type stuff. 
Um, you know, so seeing any type of tabletop war game out there, like I want to jump in and play. Um, I've got armies for games that I'll never play lying around here. Um, uh, um, man, and then you got me thinking, like as I'm looking over some of my game collections. <laughs> the only thing I haven't gotten into really is board gaming. I, I'm not, I can't, I, I can't really, like there are a few, like the D&D board games I really enjoy. Um, Betrayal at House on the Hill and Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, you know, oh, absolutely yeah. love. Um, some of the more campy little uh, like card games, board games, uh, war games I really enjoy. Can't really get into board games right now um, outside of that. Oh, Ogre. I got my super giant box of Ogre. Okay. Um, half of my bookshelf um, over here, which I, I don't even think I've played yet. Uh, <laughs> One deck. Yeah, exactly. Although, if I if I can brag for one second, there is a war game that a friend of mine just gave me a copy of that I desperately want to play. And it is, I don't know if the camera is going to get that right. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. It is SPI, yep. War of the Ring. Um, and she was like, eh, I'm not a war gaming kind of person. Here, you can have it. Like, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's like the old Iron Crown uh, Middle Earth role playing game or, or Merp. Yep. Yeah, I missed that too. Like I've, I've got a, I think I've got a copy of that lying around here too. Um, I'm trying to, uh, like, I've got a really nice game collection, and I would mm. like to have it be more than a collection and actually use it. Like, there's some gems in here that I haven't played in ever. Mm. Um, I've got like the first edition of Ars Magica up here. Oh wow! That I would love to give a try. Um, you know, just because it's neat, uh, or it looks neat, and and clearly people liked it at one point. Uh, so it would be cool to do. Um, I've got some old editions of Pendragon up here, uh, and um, yeah, those are those are the big ones. The Marvel game is probably the most fun thing I'm doing right now. Oh, and Starfinder! I'm going to be starting up a Starfinder uh, Starfinder game too. Uh, so. oh, okay. Which looks really, I, I've read through that rule book three or four times now. And uh, I really like the setting. I like what they're doing with it. Um, it looks really interesting. I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. Now, is that through, uh, is Paizo putting that out? Yep. Uh, one of, one of friend, friends of the show, uh, uh, Kevin Mason, he does uh, Jack Monkey Games. He just started up an actual play of, of that. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 excited. I want to see what direction it goes in. I'm 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 glad it's not uh, it's not fully uh, God. What was the one the TSR put out back in the day? Um, their their space D and Star Frontiers. Uh, no, everyone always says Star Frontiers first. Or Gamma Worlds. Uh, no, it was, it was the actual D and D in space. They came out for spec a second. Space Jammer. Uh, something like that. Space Jammer or something. Spell Jammers. Oh, Spell Spell Jammer. That was like the, the one where they used. Uh, it was in the 90s. Yeah, magic items were the fuel for their starships. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was very short-lived. Was it? Yeah. I I I never really got into it. I I saw that there was a a, a hippo race that mm. was like pretty much my level of cool factor for that. Like, well, you could play a hippo. There you go. Awesome. Like that. <laughs> yeah. <That's>, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, some some settings just don't hit like all the right buttons. <laughs> yeah, not really. And that's all of them right there. Yep. Uh, 
Um, now, uh, not so much in the the, uh, the board games, but role playing games. You prefer the playing or overall DMing refereeing? You like that control, that that creativity? I like the creativity. Okay. Um, GMing and world creation and adventure creation is mm. is like my major creative outlet right now. Okay, so you're world building, yeah. Yeah, to the point that I'm I'm worried whether I've I've talked with a couple of my writer friends about this of whether it's impeding my writing, whether I'm cheating uh, and getting all the things that I would like to put into fiction and instead putting them into gaming. Ah, uh, okay. Because it's because it's to an extent less work, I guess. You know, because I get to write it in shorthand. Um I can see that, yeah. Yeah, you know, and it's and the great thing is that's multi-genre. You know, if anything, you know, I got I've got an idea for a police suspense thing. Well, okay, I'll write that up as an adventure for I don't know for Knights Black Agents or, or Trail of Cthulhu or something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah, I, I enjoy that part of it. I, I've got notebooks and notebooks of stuff that I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day. Um, you know, of of different types of world building things, and some of it's you know traditional old school fantasy tropes, um, or old sci fi tropes. Others, you know, just commonplace book type notes. Um, you know, <laughs> those those scrawling notes of a madman. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think of some of the ones that I've I've got a sketch. For, for you know, when I was coming up with uh, ideas for Starfinder, I've got this image stuck in my head of this giant Stargate-type thing that's being overseen by uh, exceptionally tall, robed guards. So I sketched it out really quickly. Mm-hmm. And just with these little iconic people standing next to it, this gigantic, ornate thing, I've decided that it has to be in the heart of a starship somewhere. Cool. Um, and it's it's not even a gate. It's just where you commune with your god. Yeah. I like it that I'm going to use now. You know, I speaking. You know, on a on on a webcast about gaming. That's totally rational. You know, in a notebook, scrawled in ink, with some pencil marks next to it. In the context <laughs> of notes on everything from you know, like a picture of a flower to notes on sword fighting, you know, to shopping lists. It's the diary of a madman. Um, (laughs) You know, it's my only regret after death is I can't be there for the guys who are going to be going through these things. (laughs) (laughs) Who are just going, clearly. (laughs) Clearly ahead of his time. Um, But yeah, you know, world building, idea building, concept building. um, Okay. Just little. I'm, I'm looking around here. I got, I've got I've got moleskines lying all over the place. Oh. <laughs> that's awesome. It, oh, this, that's right. This was going to be a spell book. Like, there's uh, there's some stuff there. You can't see it on camera. <sighs> yeah. Do you find yourself when when you're doing your world building, do more like like set piece like you know ideas like like the gate or or not gate with the road figures uh, as opposed to you know, huge, like overarching stories. Cause you know, as soon as you introduce that to the players they are like, 
oh, that's cool, but there's a rabbit over here, so I'll yeah, be exactly. over there, and like, we'll, you know, whatever, whatever you're doing. And taught his daughter to say when she was a small, small child, the player's rule. <laughs> um, that's, uh, yeah, you know, that's, I, I try to stay away from coming up with the big overarching things because, yeah, they, you know, well, number one, it's been done better than me, you know. Uh, number two, if it's actually sitting down in play, they will come up with that eventually better. And I might just come up with an idea and just throw something in. Um, right. You know, and uh, uh, just go, okay, well, wait, well, there's this one prince over here who, aha, you know, and then they build it up. Um, and then for me, I'd much rather, you know, on the micro, just come up with something interesting. Like, oh, well, here's a, a church that was is actually uh, it was once dedicated to an evil god, but nobody knows that. They never realized it. Um, so that's why the, there are little heads along uh, along the top of the wall. Um, you know, people think they're just gargoyle heads. Well, they were actually the focuses for it, but nobody's ever going to know that. Right. Those go in my notes, and that's that to me is the really fun stuff to uh to come up with um character background things that might never see point of play i really like the macros and i also really enjoy coming up with the idea of okay well this is the what if um and just taking something to its next logical or illogical step um you know okay well what if what if a knight has to live in the same castle with with the undead and the undead can't go away. What next? Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, that's going to be that set, that part of the setting, you know, and that'll be, right. that'll be a couple of pages right up and maybe the players will get to it. Maybe they won't. Um, but I've got it down there. Well, you can always drop it in somewhere else too. Right. I mean, that's the, you know, you don't want to put people on rails, but right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there is inherent mind, like you're going to tell a story that we're participating in. Right. Maybe you're not going to tell a story, but you're, you're going to present options and everybody's buying into that, right? So, like, if it's we meet at the tavern and there's a, you know, a wizard who's assaulting the town. Okay, cool. We're going to go do that. We're not going to go and now, like, be cattle farmers because you, like, you, what you, are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got, I've, I've got the players who will go, well, I'm really curious to see what we could do as cattle farmers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, what if like, yeah, and they will, they'll rationalize it, and so will I, you know, given the right opportunity. Well, you know, that wizard who's attacking, he has reasons, you know, and who am I to question his reasons? You know, right. he's, got, he's got his thing going on. Clearly someone in this town wronged him. I'm staying out of that fight because, you know, well, cattle. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I will say one of my friends who was playing an assassin came up with the greatest concept is he was like well you know what i am going to settle down while some other people are working on on the local castle he did buy himself a nice plot of land and uh he started a pig farm because he's an assassin <laughs> and pigs will eat anything so there was his <laughs> it took me a few minutes for it he was like i don't need to bury anything yeah you know, and that was yeah and uh like that's that's brilliant that's fantastic um you know, I, I like uh, I like throwing in the you know the detail that eventually someone else might add more to, because they thought something was interesting. Mm. You know, um, 
and they'll have a, you know, I'll just say, well, there's this, you know, there's this guy. Uh, he's performing on stage. He's smoking. He looks tired. He's playing guitar. Um, he's playing a song. And, you know, if someone else adds in, has guitars out of tune. Okay. Well, next step, why is his guitar out of tune? Is he actually a good musician? Well, maybe he is, but he's just tone deaf. Well, maybe it's, and then we play that what if. Well, why? What is and and how does that make a more interesting character to interact with and play with? And it may seem very banal and very, very uh, you know, what's the point of adding this kind of a detail? Man, my players will sit there for an hour, you know, talking to this NPC because they just suddenly made him more interesting because he can't mm -hmm. ever keep his guitar in tune. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's those are the details that I love and the fact that they'll add to it for a star wars game a long time ago i had a i, I was thinking I, I wanted to have a, a character who was just down on his luck angry i decided he was a nihilist no well, maybe not full nihilist but man why is he angry well let's go for the easy things his family was on alderaan he's from alderaan okay well who is he hanging out with well misery loves company so he's hanging out with other bastards all right well why are they angry well, there's a whole bunch of places in Star Wars that the planets were either destroyed or had their atmospheres ripped off or 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 poison let off into their into their atmospheres. Well, what if you had an entire group of those people? Mm. Well, what if you made an entire combat group of all of those people? Just a bunch of nihilists. <sighs> so you have an entire fighter squadron in the rebellion who are That's all nihilists. Yeah. Because they're all from cultures that were destroyed by the Empire. Mm -hmm. Oh, great. These guys are terrifying. Because <laughs> they've got nothing left to lose. So right. now my PCs have to work alongside of them. Interesting group of pirates, that's for sure. It writes itself. Um, right. You know, so those are... And then they add to it. And they just go, there's got to be, insert, whatever in there yeah. there's got to be you know there i can't even remember what they added to it i just remember the stupid little notes i was adding one guy who joined who didn't know that they were all nihilists um <laughs> and now he's lying about being from alderaan <laughs> and, um, yeah you know like silly little things like that um those are those are the fun i i love that for the podcast because we you know there's no you know there's no map there's no minis everything's like theater of their mind and you know we've got good GMs that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll start to describe a scene or tell a story or whatever. And, and people will pick up that, that thread, you know, pull up that thread and be like, Oh yeah, you know, it's, it's this or that. And I, I really, really enjoy that, that aspect of role playing, especially for the podcast. Cause it makes the worlds that much, yeah. you know, richer for people that are, you know, going to tune in and listen later on. And, and for us to play like our fear itself game, it, it, it's stupid, but it's so much fun. I mean, like it's modern day setting and right. you know it's it's an hour of us role playing going to the diner and getting a sandwich and talking to yeah. the waitress and like you know doing 45 minutes of planning because we have to go try to kill this monster and it's just fantastic <laughs> one, one of the most fun things that we ever did while playing um book hounds of of london which uh you wouldn't expect to have like the concept of the game is you run a bookshop okay it's an occult bookshop in a cthulhu world but still you know, it, it takes a special type. Well, it's in the 1930s. My friend and I decided uh, 
because I had occult contacts, I was going to call Aleister Crowley for something <laughs> because I'm close personal friends with Aleister Crowley, or at least I know him. So I'm on the phone with Aleister Crowley. My character's on the phone with Aleister Crowley. I'm not personally on. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the, uh, oh, that would be awesome. Um, would be awesome. And my, my friend, while I'm, I'm acting as if I'm talking on the phone with Aleister Crowley, is just going, are you on the phone with Fatty again? <laughs> and I just, without skipping a beat, I look at him and go, he can hear you. He goes, well, of course he can hear me. His ears aren't that bad. It's just the rest of him that's, stop calling him fat. He's very sensitive. But no, Alistair, nobody's calling you. Oh, okay, now he's crying. You know, was, we're always going back to that one. Of just, you crying? Just a little. <laughs> you know, it, 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 besides the fact that in that campaign world now, Alistair Crowley is very sensitive about his weight, and we make him cry. Uh, but it's also that that's that was one of the highlights of the session. You're not saying <laughs> boring game. It wasn't. It was a fantastic game. You know, it, there were heists and cons and occult and spells and murder and all that stuff. And this one moment of my friend and I completely in character talking to Alistair Crowley on the phone. And, and that was uh, like that. That's the moment I look for in gaming. Other people talk about, yeah, we killed Asmodeus. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, that time we killed Dio. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, sure. You know, for us, you know, sometimes that moment is just that, you know, that thing, mm -hmm. that one line that, that mm -hmm. someone just goes, now that's the setting. We got it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a little bit of magic when, when you can get that in a game and you, and you hope to recreate that every time that you play. I, I, I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. That is good stuff, that's for sure. I mean, we'll, we'll go whole sessions and not roll dice because we're just who's the best role playing yeah it's, it's fantastic we did that of all things with uh one ring uh the the tolkien role playing mm. recently fantastic system so much detail to it uh some of our most fun moments of that were not in terms of the adventure but just in terms of you know uh the Hobbit making muffins, you know, and just the conversations between between characters, um, and it just you have those moments, and you go, "This is this is the Tolkien moment," you know. You you've wrapped you've wrapped it up. Um, pulling it back to the SCA, we have the same kind of thing there. Some people call it the dream, you know. It, it's that moment where. The smells are right. The look is right. The atmosphere is right. You got it. You know, that, that moment that you're walking out onto the battlefield that's literally mist-covered, and you're in armor, and you're waiting. Or that moment that you're in the hall, and everybody is laughing and dancing, and there's music playing, and, and you've got a sword on your hip, and you're, you're going to go sit somewhere and have a drink. That moment, you know, those are exactly what I look for in gaming, too. If I could have that, you know, we've we've captured the genre or we've captured the adventure or we've captured the setting. Um, I remember my, my vampire, the masquerade game when the campaign finally ended and people were crying, mm. you know, because of that, it was the most personal thing. Uh, 
you know, and you've got people who are actually here and we're friends. We're not going anywhere. We're going to the diner after this, you know, <laughs> like that's, but there are people crying at the, at the table. Like that's, uh, I can never recapture that, mm -hmm. you know, um, I can try, you know, I can, I can keep chasing Amy as much as I want, you know, but that's, uh, I'm not going to be able to recapture that if I can, but if I can have that organically happen again, man. Nice pull. I like that reference. <laughs> well, I, that was, was beautifully stated. And I, I think that's probably a, a good place to, to wrap it on that note of, of just that, that magic of, of, of those moments and the, and the things that we look for and, you know, in our gaming and, and we do the SEA and, you know, and even, you know, even in our regular lives. I mean, that's, that's stuff that transfers, through you know it's a you know moment with your kid or, or you know with your wife or your, you know your pets or whatever like that that's you know that, that that's where things are or at least where they should be right like all the other stuff sort of falls away when you hit that that note you know it's, yeah. yeah it's taking the it's taking the two paths in the woods and the one you're going for is the good memories making good memories yeah yeah absolutely well, so then I, I want to thank you for coming on. This this was a ton of fun. Uh, oh, man, thank you. I, I had a blast. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I, I learned a lot. I mean, that would, that's cool. Yeah. Like, I knew a little bit about the SEA, but I, I feel like I've gotten a full, like, college class worth of information. So that was cool. SEA 101. I'll keep rambling. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have, to have, we'll have to have you back on again, part two. I'll be happy. I'll talk gaming, fencing, swords, nerding. Whatever, man. I, don't, I think we asked like three questions that were actually on the. On the <laughs> 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 we'll have to get you in on our next gaming roundtable then, um, oh, which we haven't done like in forever, but we'll. Yeah, we need to do that. That'll be good. Yeah, we'll get you queued up for that. And we've got links to, to your blog. So if people are interested in the, in any of the SEA stuff, uh, I guess you do some other other blogging on there as well as gaming-related things. So people want yep. to check that out. Links are in the in the show notes. Uh, obviously, people who've made it this far, you've, you've already heard this interview. But uh, for people who might be kind of like jumping around, uh, this will also be, also be available as an MP3 maybe tomorrow. I don't know. I have to edit everything. It'll, it'll be coming out soon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, if you if you enjoy this content, hit the like, the subscribe. Uh, you know, if you could leave us a review or just a rating on your favorite podcatcher of choice, iTunes, Podchaser, whatever, we appreciate that. That helps us out a ton. Uh, we're on all of the social media, so like and subscribe in all the various places. Uh, some of them are more active than others. And don't forget, you can order your awesome legendary brew at Birds of a Feather Coffee. Uh, there's a very convoluted link in the show notes, so uh, click on that. It's awesome. It's what I drink. Um, you should give it a try, maybe. I don't know. We make a little bit of money on that, so that's cool. Uh, but the coffee's great. Uh, so... Thank everybody for checking this out. Thanks for uh, thanks to Mike for for coming in. Thanks for Vince for pulling the for pulling Mike over to us. That was awesome. Absolutely. Thank you guys. And You're all right, and we'll catch you all next time. Later, people. Leave a review. Damn it. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.